You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to Fly on the Call, candid conversations on music. I use the tagline today because this is probably the most candid and natural conversation on the podcast yet. Today's guest is the amazing writer and my close friend, Joel Funk. Joel started a website called 36 Vultures because he can't shut up about the music he loves. After learning the trade and figuring his writing out, he put 36 Vultures to rest and moved on to Substream, where he churned out premieres like crazy, among other things. He's since scaled back his writing a bit, but continues to write for both Substream and The Alternative, with a style that is both intensely personal and exudes the passion he has for music. Before we get into the interview, I just wanted to give a quick reminder about some cool Fly in the Call related stuff. Most importantly, I finally made a Spotify playlist for the podcast. It's called Distinguished Guests of Fly on the Call, and will be linked in the show notes. It features three tracks from every musical guest who has been on so far, and is therefore full of bangers. I may even start to add new guest tracks on Tuesday, before an episode goes up on Wednesday, so be sure to follow along. The second reminder is that I post a hint every Monday as to who that week's guest is going to be, so be sure to follow the podcast at FlyOnTheCallPod on Twitter and Instagram. I always make an announcement as soon as someone guesses right, and that's a lot of fun, so play along. I also wanted to give a quick little push for you to rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that offers something like that. It means so much to me that anyone listens to the podcast, and I would love to see it spread as far as possible. Send a tweet, tell a friend, whatever you can do will surely make a difference, as well as giving me a little dopamine spike. And finally, I still have a bunch of fancy schmancy fly on the call stickers that I'd be happy to get into good homes. Just send me a message with your address and I'd be happy to send one out to you. Now, without further ado, my interview with Joel Funk. Outside of work, how have things been? <laughs> uh, I mean, good. It's been a lot of nothing. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, trying to learn guitar, uh, which has been fun, but I have to try to remember to not be obnoxious while everybody else is like home and trying to do things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so no getting the wrong note and screaming fuck too loud? <laughs> right, I can't like get mad and start screaming at the guitar or... Uh, <laughs> One thing I have noticed, though, is trying to learn, like, front-bottom songs. Um, I'm pretty sure Brian only plays two notes ever. Like, Sounds they're accurate. Not, they're not <laughs> very complicated. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm like, wow, the other guitar player really has to pick up a lot of slack. <laughs> when you said that, like, all I could think of was, uh, is it the intro, intro to, like, twin-size mattress, where it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. I mean, that's like, <laughs> 
pretty much it's that same thing. He just plays it at different speeds all the time. Nice. But, <laughs> and that's that's the thing I'm excited about. They need to just announce this album already. Seriously. Um, I don't know. It's been very interesting to see how, like, different acts are, like, handling, like, some, you know, pushing stuff up or pushing stuff back or, you know. Yeah. I think I think they're handling it well with the uh, this Twitch thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. But like, because I think it was this thing was supposed to take the place of the tour they had to postpone in April. Mm-hmm. So like every other week has been a has been a like a, a live concert. Uh, the first one was acoustic, and then the other ones have all been like full band. Um, and then whenever it's not a live show, it's been a clip from a documentary. And last week they just started recording new songs in the documentary. Oh, I'm assuming that this, this whole thing ends June 5th. So that's when I'm assuming either a new single or the album will be announced or both, but, or maybe it'll be a surprise drop of the new album. (laughs) it, It would just be, it's a strange rollout considering the first single for this album came out in December of 2019. Yeah. I know. I wonder what it would have been like if this whole shit like, wasn't going on. Like if they would have announced it before the tour or like during the tour. Or... Right. It's cause it's definitely, well, I think they had that big, big show planned for April 17th in New York city, like the biggest venue they've ever played um, as a headliner, at least. And oh, I shit. think, I think that's when they were going to announce the album. Gotcha. That makes uh, sense. But then coronavirus was like, absolutely not. <laughs> no joy for anyone. <laughs> so I'm curious to see if this plays out as an album announcement or not. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the new Run of the Jewels drops on the 5th too. So uh, oh, nice. maybe it won't be a full drop if they don't want the thunder stolen from them. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, well, I'm not sure how much their uh, uh, audiences overlap though. <laughs> well, you never know. You'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I got uh, I got a pitch today from some record label that found me through the the piece I wrote on the front bottoms for the alternative, and they they pitched me a queer hip hop group, and I was like, In- interesting, <laughs> In- interesting correlation you made there, but I'll give it a listen, I guess. Yeah, that, that's really kind of uh, you know. Uh, putting you down into like your one single um yeah you saw the word gay and yeah, you were like yes. pretty much <laughs> <laughs> oh and they saw oh the alternative has fifteen thousand followers or whatever yeah. yep. <laughs> make it happen <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> but yeah i mean speaking of that and transitioning into your writing a little bit i mean uh like kind of one of the standout pieces that I've read that you've written it would be that like the front bottoms piece, you know, talking about, you know, like your queerness and discovering, you know, sexuality and stuff through them. Like, can you tell me about that? And like, you know, I guess both that specifically and kind of your general process for like coming up with ideas. So that one, it was interesting. It was right when camouflage came out, I was kind of just listening to it and really dissecting all the ties to past songs that they've released uh, specifically like, um, why can't I think of the name of it? It's from <laughs> Going Gray. Um, I'll think of it probably while I'm talking. But I had tweeted about the song, and then somebody else had responded saying that the front that the front bottoms were like gay as hell, which is an idea that I've had forever. But we had gone back and forth, and then I started slowly kind of piecing the songs together that I think really paint that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was cool to be able to 
Uh, that that piece is probably the most proud I've been of anything I've ever written, just because it's the most uh, personal. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is saying a lot for you, <laughs> right? I well, I I try to put a lot of myself into everything that I write, but with that one, I feel like I don't talk. I don't talk very often, at least in music writing, about uh, like sexuality or about my sexual preference. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty obnoxious about it everywhere else, <laughs> but I, I it was just it was cool to be able to look at that and be like, you know what? I think that's why this band speaks to me so much is just because I'm able to, to find myself in with their writing, even if that's not what his intention was. Although mm. I really do think that might've been a lot of his intention. I think this is a, it was a good way for Brian to just be able to get these things out that he's not otherwise comfortable maybe talking about, mm-hmm. but idea wise, there's not, it, it's never the same thing. So like sometimes it'll be something like that where I hear a lyric or I, I'm like, oh, I've, I've noticed this trend and I'll start trying to piece things like that together. Uh, with this, the front bottoms piece, uh, back in October of 2018, maybe, they released uh, End of Summer, Now I Know, and I had kind of toyed with the idea of trying to piece together all of the songs where Brian talks about uh, like the summer, and every time that he sings about the summer, it's always like either he's wildly in love or he's just fallen wildly out of love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this was kind of the spiritual successor to that and then otherwise it's just me uh, rambling until I find <laughs> something to find something to go with yeah and I mean you mentioned like putting a lot of yourself into your writing and I know like when that front bottoms piece went up you were like you know really kind of like touched by the way that people were like reacting to it uh, like how does that kind of like affect your writing <laughs> yeah I mean it, it adds maybe not so much pressure. It was very cool to see people re- reacting, responding, and feeling the same way that I did to it, just because a lot of what I've written prior to that is like album reviews or like song premieres, right? So it's very much, I pour, I pour a lot of myself into what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but it's not so much a personal piece. Yeah. Um, and just to be able to put as much of myself as humanly possible into this, just as much of me went into it as the music that I was writing about and seeing people react to it so positively. Uh, I think it's just, it really has made me want to continue trying to write more op-ed pieces like that Mm -hmm. um, and shy away maybe a little bit more from the regular album reviews and stuff that I was doing. I'd like to be able to feel almost like a personality than just like another music journalist, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I feel like that also kind of, goes in with another something else I was going to bring up which is like kind of the way you like create friendships with like the bands that you discover and kind of like g- help them grow or grow with them and stuff and like how does that kind of like happen for you I really I like I like to try to um well one I think it helps that once I find something that I really love um I don't I don't comprehend the idea of shutting up about it right <laughs> so like I will keep going until I will just keep shoving it down people's throats until they're either until I'm with them physically and they're listening to it, or they react to the fact that I said, Hey, listen to this. Hey, listen to this. Hey, listen to this. Um, but like, for instance, with super American, um, I have followed Matt's songwriting since I can see mountains. That was one of the first, uh, their album life on a houseboat was one of the first that I had ever, like I heard it and I was like, I want to talk about it. Like, like it, something about it really affected me, even though like looking back at it now, as much as I love it, 
Uh, it was basically just gibberish. Uh, nothing <laughs> about it. Nothing about it was coherent in the slightest. Um, but so I had kind of again I had just followed his songwriting, and then when he came back with "Thick Winter Blood" was the name of it at the time. I had reached out and I had talked to him about working with him, and that just kind of blossomed into a regular like just that that avenue of communication ended up becoming more of a friendship than anything else. Um, same with uh, AJ from Bogues. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Bogues correctly. Or not, <laughs> That's but, how I say it in my head. <laughs> but he, we, I wouldn't say we're like super close friends, but we talk pretty regularly and he's, I'm always one of the first people he comes to when he has something he wants to share, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is special. Um, but again, I think a lot of that just comes down to uh, if I hear it and I believe in it, I don't know how to shut up about it and I will try to foster some some sort of community around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Life on a Houseboat being, uh, in retrospect, somewhat like incoherent, uh, but like something that always stands out to me is the way like you connect with lyrics. So like when did that kind of like shift come in you or did it, was it more like the realization of the, the lyrics that have, as how you were interpreting them? Well, it's interesting. So like I still cling to to that album a lot lyrically like there are some there are some incredible lyrics on that album like um one of my favorite lyrics of all time is uh, i'll build a house on a big old hill uh cut my air supply and roll to the bottom at the bottom i'll plant my body and grow a new one which comes from that album but like in the grand scheme of everything else going on in the song you're like where the fuck did that just come from <laughs> because like it, it literally they have like these strokes of genius that come out of nowhere and so as much as i do think it's incoherent nonsensical like just kind of babble um i think that 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 works more often than it doesn't and that's kind of what i cling to is those those moments of genius in the middle of nothing that sounds like uh if someone wasn't listening to this conversation, they might think you were talking about say anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, a hundred percent. Say anything is one of, that's a, a band that I loved, 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 loved in middle and high school. And uh, I mean, still love the older stuff to this day, but I think that's what drew me to them was just one, how Max is able to, was able to have those moments of actual like clarity and genius in his like mental breakdown that was, is a real boy. Mm-hmm. right that was such a big sarcastic sweeping fuck you to everything but there are these moments that just are so perfect so so perfect that you just can't help but love them mm-hmm. yeah for sure I, I mean and you also like mentioned like life on a houseboat being the first album that kind of like made you not want to shut up about it um like can you like chart a little bit of like your music history like surrounding that like before and after that and like how it kind of changed things for you yeah so um I mean, I was like everybody on Tumblr. I think I was pretty a pretty avid reader of Property of Zach. Um, so, like, I liked stuff like that. I had wanted to write album reviews. Um, interestingly, Logan, who is now one of the digital content editors at Substream, uh, he had a website called Fuck Your Scenes that I got introduced to him because I was making Tumblr like layouts, right? And so I traded a layout for the ability to write a review for his website. The first <laughs> review I ever wrote was for uh, Misser's debut album. Uh, Every day I tell myself I'm going to be a better person. 
but like I pulled up that review and shared it on Twitter a couple times because truly all it was was me. Like it was a track by track, but not by the band. Like it was just some idiot <laughs> who had listened to it breaking it down song by song. Um, and then, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. So I knew I had that's something that I wanted to do. And then when I heard uh, Glory off of Life on a Houseboat, something about it was just like, this is perfect. This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I need to tell people about it because I don't think enough people are talking about it. I wasn't seeing it be talked about on Property of Zach. I wasn't seeing it being talked about online. So I figured I'm just going to, this is the first thing I've heard where it feels like perfect and I don't get why nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, after that, I think the next album that affected me that way was Home Like No Places There, um, which interestingly enough, or No Place There Is. Interestingly enough, I heard the first single from that album because Bandcamp recommended them to me because I liked I Can See Mountains. So the uh, hotel you was recommended perfect. because of that. And then uh, those are the two albums that really launched me into music writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like how I'm trying to think of when Home Like No Places There came out. Like uh, when, like, when within like 36 Vultures formation did that like happen? Okay, so that was maybe, I want to say... Six months to a year, so 36 Vultures, the original version of it. Um, I would do album reviews, but it was like, I think the first album review I ever published on 36 Vultures was for uh, Speak Low If You Speak Love's debut album, Everything But What You Need. Um, so before, before Ryan had joined State Champs, this was his side project from Good Luck Varsity, um, I had done the cover art for the original release of the album and he asked if I wanted to review it. And so I reviewed it and I bought a website and I put the review up online. (laughs) Um, And then every time an album I wanted to write about would come out, I would reach out. And if I was able to write about it, I would, if I was able to get, if I was able to get an advance, I would do it in advance, obviously, but I would still write about it. Um, I want to say the trajectory went like speak low. If you speak love, I think I did a review of Seaway's Hoser. Um, and then I think it might have just been Home Like No Places or Home Like No Place There Is or Is There. I can terrible at remembering that album's <laughs> like actual name. Um, and I don't even remember how I got, I don't even remember how I got their PR contacts uh, or how I got their PR contact. I just remember emailing Will being like, hey, I have this tiny little bullshit blog. Can I write about this band? And that was it. Nice. <laughs> and so was that yeah. like kind of like a turning point for you in 36 Vultures? Yeah, I think that was when I started to take the writing aspect of it like more as more, more seriously, um, at least review wise. I think that's when I started actually taking time to make sure what I was writing um, wasn't just me reacting to it. It was more of me trying to relate to it and talk to people, which is how I prefer to write about music. I don't necessarily want to be like Anthony Fantano, who is strictly, strictly review. There's no attachment whatsoever. He's like, he's very much, this is bad. And this is why it's bad. Mm. Whereas I'll just, I'll try to weave some personal something into it. I'll try to take something from it other than these guys really know how to play the guitar. (laughs) Um, What's funny though, is 36 Vultures. 
up at that point was still just doing like maybe like a monthly album review and that's all I was doing. And then this little tiny band from Virginia who I don't think they're a band anymore. They were called Pischetti. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Had emailed me uh, asking if I would post something about an EP release show of theirs in Virginia as like a news post. And that was the first news post on 36 Vultures. And then <laughs> I just kept going from there. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like for a little while there, 36 Vultures, like, was kind of, you know, almost like, you know, like, it felt like it could be, like, a property of Zach, you know, yeah. eventually. And, like... So I guess, can you just, like, tell me, walk me through a little bit of your, like, mindset surrounding the site um, at, like, the various type steps in its stages? So I, well, when we when I started posting more regularly, it became almost more, like, I would do that during the day before I went to work. I worked 1 to 10 at Walmart at the time. So during the day before I went to work, I would try to queue up as much stuff as I could uh, news-wise, and then I would monitor it while I was there. Um, and I just, I started with smaller bands because I was like, I obviously can't just assume that these bigger bands that I want to work with, um, are going to want to work with me right away. So I was working with like Savior Generation Records who did the first, I think up until Opportunities, they worked with Hot Mulligan. Um, that was the first like big relationship I had with anybody, uh, like press wise. Um, and then... I don't think while I was ever, while I was running 36 Vultures, I ever appreciated how many people liked what I was doing with 36 Vultures because I always felt like I was never getting the, there was no like the part of me wanted recognition that I wasn't getting, which sounds so childish, like looking back at it because I was having fun and I was talking about music that I loved and I was helping bands that I would, that I love. But I've talked about it with uh, James Shotwell and uh, Jacob Tender a couple times. And Jacob, he regularly refers to 36 Vultures as the little blog that a lot of the bigger blogs were reading. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, try to bring up, <laughs> I'll try to bring up like Hot Mulligan, for instance. There was a good point in time where Hot Mulligan, if it was something that had to do with Hot Mulligan, it wasn't nobody but 36 Vultures was talking about that band. Mm-hmm. Right. And we would like, I would talk to Chris Freeman all the time. And we would dream of seeing that band in like alt press and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was great. I mean, I, I sometimes I think that I was too hasty with just stopping 36 Vultures altogether once I started writing for Substream. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't, I don't know. I loved what we built, and I just wish I knew now, or I knew then, what I know now about it, and mm-hmm. I was able to keep that going. Yeah, for sure. I know what you mean. Um... And like, so how did the transition from to Substream like end up starting for you? And obviously, that was like a big chunk of your writing career as well. At this point, so the first thing that I wrote, I had reached out to, uh, well, James Shotwell had asked if I was interested in writing for Substream. Uh, after I'm very, I'm good friends with Joe Urban from uh, Take This to Heart Records, and he knew somebody at Substream had pitched me to them as a writer and then James had emailed me and asked if I was interested in joining the digital team mm-hmm. and I jumped on that in a heartbeat um, the first thing I wrote for them was 
actually an so when I started there, the first thing I had pitched was an interview with the Front Bottoms about uh, the album Going Gray, which I did end up doing. But the first thing I ended up publishing was like a song premiere for some band that I wish I remembered the name of. <laughs> um, and then while I was there, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but like a lot of people left and I ended up becoming like the digital content editor minus the title of editor so like i was responsible for like securing you were the digital content all of it yeah yeah (laughs) but there was no title and there was no pay (laughs) so i don't know if you remember like the the little mental breakdown i had on twitter where i was like i'm never writing about music again i hate this i absolutely can't stand the pressure of this um but that all happened so quick so i went from 36 vultures which is like a passion project to Substream, which I was like, sick. That's a name that people know. That's a name people care about. And I was writing some of my favorite stuff with Substream. Like that that first piece I ever, the first piece I wrote about the front bottoms for them, which is called just, on, it's called Ongoing Gray, Aging with the Front Bottoms. Um, one, I would like a redo because I did interview the front bottoms, but I think I told Brian I love you like four times over the course of a 10-minute phone call, which <laughs> not great. You know, looking back at it, looking back at it, um, I wish I hadn't said I love you four times in 10 minutes, but uh, I did. He was great about it. Um, and I still, I'm very happy that for the platform Substream gave me, one, and two, the fact that they're so willing to let me kind of come and go as I please mm-hmm. right now. So, like, there is no pressure for me to do X amount of posts per month. The team there now trusts that if I want to write about something, it's going to be good. It's going to get, it, people are going to want to read about it. People are going to mm. want to talk about it. And I'm allowed to just kind of come and go as I please, which is nice. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And uh, now you're kind of like sprinkling in stuff at the alternative too. So like, how do you kind of like, have, how have you been deciding like which uh, outlet something is more right for? Well, like with the front bottoms piece specifically, um, I felt like, the audience with the alternative would be a lot more receptive to what I was talking about there because it wasn't so much um, like an album review and it wasn't something that it wasn't magazine content. So like when I think Substream, mm-hmm. I still kind of think magazine content. So like album reviews, song premieres, um, strictly like what you would read in like an alt press or a Substream when they were still in print. Mm-hmm. Um, this was so that was so wildly personal that I was like, I'd like it. I'd like for an audience that, that re that is engaged and like is willing to be part of a conversation mm-hmm. to read this. And that's, that's a big part of why I pitched it to the alternative is I think that audience is more willing to have a conversation as opposed to just look at it, read it and retweet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, and then moving forward, it comes down to, one, I'll ask when I get a pitch because it's never specific. I'll ask if they have a preference so that I know who I can pitch. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I got an email recently for a music video premiere, and so it could go either way. This is an artist that I know a lot of the alternatives fan base likes, so I'll pitch it there first. And if they – I mean, I haven't heard no from them yet, but if they <laughs> were to say no or whatever, I would then move it to Substream. 
Um, or if it's something super last minute, I know that sounds awful, but like <laughs> future crooks had reached out to me to review their, uh, the new three song EP they just put out, uh, the wind. And originally I was going to do that for Substream because I was like, I, I have like 24 hours to get this review done and like up if I want it done before the EP comes out. But once, once that window had passed, I was like, you know what? I think this is something again it's that review was so personal and it was basically just me talking about me and then here are three future crook songs <laughs> that I was like, I think that this is another conversational piece that would probably do better on the alternative. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. it's more conversational, that's where I'll, that's where I'll try to bring it. If it's more of a community or like a personal piece, I'll bring it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, and like it's interesting to me that like these kind of like op-ed pieces and like premieres are kind of like your two biggest things because like when i think of a premiere i generally think of like i mean i think of like the meme here's two emo songs good ones or whatever that was like when the world is a beautiful place or whoever did like a split with someone else i can't even remember but um, like how like how did premiere what is it about premieres that like attracts you to them um I think I just like being able to be like here, here, I guess it's the same as reviews, but it's like, here's a song that I, I know you're, I, I think you're going to love. Here are the reasons that I love it. I'm so excited to be able to be the person that gets to share this with you. It's the same as like, I look at premieres, like when I hear a song that I love and you know, because I'll text you, if I hear a song that I love, the first thing I want to do is I want to share it with people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like, I love this you need to hear this. I think you're going to love this. I, I love being that for other people. Mm-hmm. I just, I like being able to be like, I think you're going to love this. Here's what, I mean, here's this, this, and this is why I love it. Please listen. And just, I, I know you're going to love it. That's mm-hmm. my, my favorite thing to do when it comes to music is just share it. Yeah. And like, going off of that, like, I feel like I've called you like my musical guru a few times at least. <laughs> like, how do you find music and what like drives you to be so into finding new music (laughs) well so the way i find music it'll vary so like uh there's a band i really like right now called ugly uh they just put out their album goons live young on it was two two fridays ago they just put out their debut album 10 songs incredible incredible stuff i found them because of a spotify recommendation they had like 120 monthly listeners so i'm not sure what i listened to that spotify was like <laughs> we think you'd like this band but uh thank you spotify i guess um and sometimes i will pick a genre that i know that i like and i will just scour Bandcamp tags until and i'll it's a really it, it's a I, I think it sounds silly but the process i have is i'll pick a genre I'll go to the tag and then I'll do it. I'll sort it by new, new arrivals so that it's not by like best sellers. Cause obviously that's what people are buying mm-hmm. and I want to be able to hear something new and I will, uh, fully just go based on the album art. So if I don't think the album art is going to catch my attention, I'm not going to click on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go through and I'll open like 40 tabs and I'll listen to the first song of everything that I just clicked on. And uh, whatever I end up liking, I have like a Google Doc that I'll go back and I'll revisit. And if I still like it, 
I will share it with people. That's how I found out about uh, Barely March um, before they put out the album. They're out the full length in 2018. Was it 2018? Before they put out their full length album, uh, it was a four song EP. And I remember I found that. I heard I was a teenage Gary. And was like, oh no, this is it. And I think I emailed Jamie Coletta like right away. And I was like, you're going to love this. It's fully like Jeff Rosenstock meets like telethon, like big crunchy riffs with these like weird synth parts that are so good. Um, and I guess what drives me to do that is just, I get bored of listening to the same artists all the time. Like I default back to the same like handful, <laughs> but like I swear I could honestly I could eyes closed in my sleep recite every lyric to every the front bottom song ever written. <laughs> and like, there's like a handful of artists where it's like that. I could do that with, um, with runaway brother. I could do that with retirement party. I could do that with a bunch of like a, a bunch of bands that I really truly love. But I, I get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I know this song already. I, I know it like the back of my hand. I want to find something new and exciting. <laughs> and so I'll just do that band camp scour. Like, how often do you do those? That's, <laughs> uh, like, once every couple months. I would say, like, once every three months I'll go through and I'll do that. Um, and, like, the genres that I always pick, it's always, like, power pop and, like, pop rock. It's never anything crazy, but, like, I, I don't think I've ever actually searched the emo tag or <laughs> pop punk. Just yeah, because I'm, I feel I'm sure like, that would lead to interesting results. <laughs> I feel like it's... Emo is so... It, it became what what indie rock was in the 2000s where it's not it doesn't mean anything yeah it's, it's more of like a style like a way of life uh, <laughs> yeah even that it's like it doesn't actually like you could show me four different emo bands like how are how are runaway brother and i'm glad it's you both considered the exact same genre mm-hmm. right like i'm glad it's you ha- is is way more leaning towards what indie rock was in the 2000s, but they, they borrow elements of uh, emo revival emo, whereas Runaway Brother, I think it's like a disservice almost to call them an emo band because that band is like theater rock through yeah. and through, like big, <laughs> grandiose, like meatloaf if meatloaf listened to say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, like as a writer, like how do you either use or not use like genre like how intentional is you know when you use the name of a genre how intentional is that for you um it, it's not really i mean i'll I, I might i'm trying to think if i actually use it i feel like i use genre pretty flippantly like i'm it's not part of the conversation it might be a way for me to help you identify what you're about to hear mm-hmm. right so i'll try to use it as like a buzz I'll try to use it so that in your head, if you haven't already clicked play, you have a general idea of what you're about to get into. Mm -hmm. But I feel like more often than I use genre, I like will do a for fans of, or if you like these three bands, Mm -hmm. this is, this is what you're going to, this is what to expect when you click play. So genre for me, I don't know. I'd be happy to say it's dead. (laughs) Um, I think that the more something, the more Spotify and Apple music and, streaming services are the norm for how we consume music, the less genre is going to matter. Like, look at Poppy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When you sent that to me, I was like, what the fuck is this? Right. 
But at the same time, I was like, this is so good. <laughs> yeah, with Poppy, it's she's had such a wild career, like, musically. Like, her first EP was, like, bubblegum pop. She was, like, signed to Diplo's record label when she first got signed. And, the like, the first big single was, like, a reggae pop song. And then she was like, yeah, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> and she's, but she's made, like, I disagree. I, you, I couldn't put a genre on that if I tried. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you would have, I feel like most of the music that is, like, coming into existence, it's, like, by default, like, multi-genre. And yeah, it's like, 100%. That's really interesting, though, what you said about, like, Spotify and, like, Apple Music and stuff, like, kind of being the new version of that. Because, yeah, like, you know, obviously, like, if you listen to, like, metal, it could give you poppy. If you listen to pop music, it could give you poppy. And, you know, both people are just as likely to like it and just as likely to dislike it if you heard, oh, she's a pop singer or, like, she makes metal music. (laughs) Right, exactly. And you have so much more freedom to, like reach across genre and see, well, will I like this? Like, or are you like, you hear one song and it's like the, the, the access to multiple genres without like having to go out and just the access to having everything at your disposal, I think is creating a more, a more diverse, uh, like just more diverse art is being made. It's not as you're not stuck with one genre. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you've kind of been championing that for a while, considering you had that the the piece where you uh, said how the Chick- the Dixie Chicks are like one of the most punk bands, and I'm curious, oh, for like, sure. what do you? I mean, if you want to intro readers to that piece or listeners to that piece a little bit, but also like, I know like what the reaction to that was when like their camp shared it. Like, what? Yeah. Do, do you think it, there would be a different reaction on in the Facebook comments today than there was when you know it was posted? No, I don't think there'd be too much of a difference. So, like, the gist of that article was that the Dixie Chicks won from the jump. Three blonde women from Nashville, Tennessee, being like, actually, men aren't shit, bud. They suck. (laughs) Like, they've never been afraid to be like, yeah, okay, cool. You, you, You can offer me a relationship, and that's about it. I don't need you to be there. Uh, Goodbye Earl being, like, a song about literally murdering your abusive ex-husband. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. And then uh, when the Iraq war happened, the fact that they were so willing to be, again, three women in country music from Nashville were so willing to be like, we do not agree with this needless war. It's going to do nothing but cost us American lives. That's such a, such a liberal stance on things. That's such a, a leftist stance on things. And for someone, for three women in country music, which is predominantly a right-wing, like, Republican genre where it's better to keep your mouth shut than to say anything at all, mm-hmm. um, they, like, they sacrificed the entirety of their career. They put everything on the line. And then when they did start to get shit for it, came back with a song called Not Ready to Make Nice, which was just like, yeah, no. Fuck you, I said what I said. <laughs> like... I said what I said, and I'm not. I'm not going to change my mind. There's nothing you can do that's going to make me think what I did was wrong. And did it cost them their career? Yeah, sure, for a little bit it did. Um, but that's what made it so like incredibly punk rock was they were so willing to be like, well, if you don't want to buy our music because of our politics, fine, that's on you. But you're not going to change our politics. <laughs> um, 
And then they came back in, I think, 2015. They did, like, a world tour. They just played the hits. And even on that tour, when they played Goodbye Earl, the backdrop for that song was a picture of Donald Trump with devil horns and a pitchfork. Like, they don't care. And I don't, I don't think the comments would be any different because I don't know that their audience has changed that much. Mm-hmm. I think um, the Dixie Chicks specifically, a lot of the younger fans are now um, willing to contribute to political conversation. So there might have been a little more back and forth, whereas uh, a good chunk of the Facebook comments were just like, uh, you're dumb. They're not <laughs> punk rock. <laughs> um, especially with this album that's coming out, um, no release date. It was supposed to be May 1st. I'm not sure when the new release date's going to be. But um, like they came back with a song called Gaslighter, which is another huge, like, it's just a huge, the, the punk energy is, un, is unrivaled. And I still think that they might be the most punk band of all time. Just they're <laughs> so willing to be like, yeah, cool. You you chased us out for a little bit, but guess what? You didn't change a goddamn thing. <laughs> Sounds like you're taking a hint from them. You said what you said, and <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ugly, and you mentioned like a forthcoming Dixie Chicks album. But what else have you been kind of like spinning to get you through quarantines? Oh man. Okay, so I've been listening to a lot of that Ugly record. Um, it's just so insane that it's like the, uh, that record is so aggressive, but also like the hooks are these huge pop hooks and the vocals on the singer insane. The, the, the soul and the voice this dude has is incredible. Um, so it's been a lot of ugly. Uh, I just got into this band fake space from Buffalo. Um, uh, Mike from Pentimento actually has drummed on both of the songs that have come out so far. Um, and the, only other member of the band, his name is Christian. He has been in, uh, I believe, the original lineup of Super American, and he was in uh, Well Kept Things, which are two other Buffalo bands that I love very much. Um, so I've been spending those two songs a lot, and uh, the Super American EP that came out earlier this year, uh, Yabwalk, I've been listening to a lot of that. And... Um, Lately, I think in the last two days, I've listened to almost nothing except for uh, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire and Lady Gaga's Rain on Me. So do with that what you will. But yeah, We Didn't Start the Fire. I don't know what it is. Like last week at work at like 2.30, all of a sudden the melody for that song was just in the back of my head. And I was like, I have to listen to this and only this for the next two hours. (laughs) And so I did that almost every day for the last like week nice (laughs) and then uh rain on me the collaboration between lady gaga and ariana grande one i mean incredible like what a perfect pop song um two just like i I, there's something about it that every time i listen to it it gets better like it just hasn't i i haven't gotten sick of it yet (laughs) nice nice yeah Uh And yeah, I mean, you've been on before, you know how I like to wrap things up by, you know, just asking for like a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, um, you know, music related, life related, COVID related, whatever you want to share. Okay. 
you would think I would have thought for a second to have some <laughs> advice because I remember this from last time. No, and I it's, think my, it's supposed to be off the cuff. <laughs> I think my advice was to stop pretending you were too cool to listen to Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds right. <laughs> um, huh. Let's see. Well, life advice, I don't know if I'm qualified to give any right now because I've been, it's been a real trip. Uh, just maybe don't put so much pressure on yourself to feel like you're getting shit done. Getting up and just doing anything is enough right now. Um, and musically, um, in a similar note, I guess I'm going to say don't pretend you're too cool to listen to uh, Chromatica when that drops on Friday. <laughs> uh, Lady Gaga is back in a big way with this album. And uh, also make sure you're excited for the new Joyce Manor rarities collection that's coming out on friday Mm -hmm. yeah i'm so excited about that i've been i've been talking about house warning party forever and the fact that i can now stream that song forever and ever until i'm blue in the face is the best thing that's happened so far in quarantine (laughs) and there's my combo with joel if everyone had the same passion that he does for discovering and spreading music the industry would be in a different place Give him a follow on Twitter and keep your eyes out for new writing, and plenty of tweets filled with sick bands to check out. Lots of funny jokes on there too, Joel's got it all. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. I gave all the promotional spiel up top, but feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform, follow along on Twitter and Instagram at flyonthecallpod, or reach out to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Till next time, stay fun. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.